welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Hello, good morning. Uh, we have a lot of new faces today. Um, so for everybody who's, this is your common, you know, routine, I want you to give a big hello to all of our new folks. Can you say hello? hello. Lots of new people. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, and, uh, we're, we're, you know, it's, we always have these opportunities to kind of, to, to meet which is great, but sometimes it's hard to connect to such a short period of time. And so uh, don't feel like you have to run away, you know, maybe kind of mill around, see what's going on here. Some people would love to touch base with you if you are joining us today. And now for all of our folks online, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we love you guys so much and um, hoping to see you guys in person at some point, you know, pa- uh, I almost said Pastor Marco, <laughs> Reverend Marco, <laughs> Reverend Marco, the Dr. Reverend. Um, says like, hey, come on, we're going to go to a new location. We want you guys to come to and check out our new location. So that's going to be happening September 26th, which is awesome. Um, I'm hearing a bit of noise. Should I just move back a bit? Are you guys okay? I was hearing just a little bit of echo. Okay, I think we're all right. Let's jump in. Uh, thank you so much, worship team. Uh, I think the songs are going to fit really well for what we're talking about today. Because we all want Jesus's life to be expressed through us, right? That's what we signed up for when we said we want to be joined and united with Christ. We've chosen to follow him. And so we want to be united now with him and his life to be expressed in and through us. Galatians 5.17 gives a description of two sources that a human being can live from. There are only two sources you can live from, Coca-Cola and Pepsi. <laughs> what, what, one is evil, one is good. No, I'm just joking. I'm being funny, I think. <laughs> I think so. Galatians 5.17 talks about the flesh and the spirit. So there are two sources. If you are a believer, you can live from two sources. You can live from the flesh, which is indwelling sin, which you inherited from Adam, or you can live through your new resurrected spirit that you inherited from Jesus. And that spirit is now united with Jesus. You can live from two sources. So hear this as a husband and as a father, as, um, as a coworker, as a student, as a teacher, as a brother, as a son, I have the privilege of allowing the supernatural power of Jesus to be expressed in and through me to my sphere of influence. So I get to love them with Christ's love. If I choose to love them from the source, which is the flesh, which is indwelling sin, which is the only other source I can live from. If I choose to do that, then that love and that expression of care or protection is, is, is fruitless. It, the, you know, the Bible describes it as it, it cannot please God. There's nothing you can do. It cannot honor, cannot honor the law, can't complete the law. It's the, the flesh is in, it has an inability to do that. But if I express through myself love and care to my sphere of influence I, I, through the spirit, 
then I am giving them supernatural expression of love and care and protection because it's going to be Jesus in and through me. So each and every one of you have that exact same privilege. So as a husband or a wife or a mother or a daughter or a son, you can love and your sphere of influence, you can care for them, you can protect them, you can nurture them with Jesus' love. That's a huge privilege that you've been given. And don't those ones who are close to you deserve that? Right? Don't they deserve that? Don't you want them to have the best? So why wouldn't we choose to do that? And all of us want to do that. However, sometimes that doesn't always happen. Right? Sometimes we don't live out of that source. John 15 verse 5 says, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Not that you're limp and aimless, but it means that whatever you do will amount to nothing. And so we want that care, that love, that protection that we can offer to our sphere of influence. We want that to be something of value that has eternal benefit that is not fruitless. But again, it's hard to do that. It doesn't happen all the time. And to be honest, one of the schemes of the enemy of the church and the children of God, one of the schemes of the enemies of the church, which is indwelling sin, right? We've been talking about that. We've been talking about the world as an enemy of the church, an enemy of the children of God. I've also been talking about the demonic forces as well, spiritual forces that come against the body. One of their schemes is to manipulate one of our emotions and one of our strongest emotions that we experience, to manipulate the emotion called fear. To make us take that emotion and direct it towards an incorrect source. And when we do that, it's a snare to us. It's a, it's a scheme. It's a trap that chokes the life of Christ from being expressed through us. Because we want our loved ones to experience it. And don't they deserve it? Don't they deserve to see Christ at work? But, but the enemy wants to cut that out from happening. And so fear is one of them. Now, fear is an emotion. And emotions are amoral, okay? If you have emotions, doesn't mean that there's a good emotion or a bad emotion. You were given emotions for a purpose, and emotions are amoral, but the problem is sometimes we can direct them in incorrect ways, and that could be something that could cause harm to ourselves or to others. Now, I say that confidently because in the Bible, we have the command, do not fear, and do not fear is one of the most commands, if not the most, given command in the Bible. God says, do not fear so many times. But then at the same time, he also gives the command, well, fear God. So what do we learn from that? Well, we learn that, that it's human to fear, but the subject of that fear is what really matters. To whom or to what it's directed towards. If I direct fear towards God, it could be called awe. It could be called reverence. It could be called, it could be called terror as well, because because God has incredible power to protect his loved ones and incredible power to defend them against those who want to harm them. But if I direct that fear towards a person, place, or thing that is not God, if I direct fear towards creation rather than the creator, fear then becomes a snare. And so the flesh wants to take advantage of that emotion that we have to turn our attention away from our most heavenly father and the power and the greatness that he has and the power that we have as believers to love on others. You know, Proverbs 29 verse 25 says this, the fear 
of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Now in the Bible, you'll notice that fear, or at least the subject of fear that is often given in, in contrast to the fear of God is called the fear of man. And so we're going to be talking about that today and this, how this fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. You know, in, in biblical times, uh, they, they, they would talk about birds, especially in the old Hebrew teachings, they would talk about birds as a description of the children of God, right? As a description of the family of God. And so when the, when the person who wrote this proverb used the word snare, they're actually describing a trap that was used to catch birds. And so birds, you know, are flying animals. But back in the day, in those, in back in the day in the Bible times, they didn't have the sophisticated tools, or not the common man didn't have the sophisticated tools, to shoot a bird out of the air like, we, what, like what we have today. So what they would do is that they would lay a trap on the ground, and they would put food on the ground on top of the trap. And they would sit back and they would wait for a bird to come out of the air, to leave where it's supposed to be, and come down and eat out of the trap. And when it came down and did that, they would activate the trap and catch the bird. I mean, they're making a very, the person who wrote this proverb is making a very, very clear typology to the people at the time. That the enemies of the children of God, the fear of man is like a snare where we are called to think about things above. We have been called to sit in the heavenly places. Well, actually, that's where we are right now. We are seated in the heavenly places with Christ at this right hand of the Father. That is where we are. We're up, we're up here. But the fear of man wants to lay a trap to take your attention from where you are, where you've been called to, to come down and trap you and prevent you from using your wings, prevent you from, from being who you are, prevent you from using what you've been given. To keep you on the ground. Supposed to be soaring like eagles above all principalities and powers. Seated with him in the heavenly realms. But the fear of man will take your attention away from that and draw you down. Stop you from soaring with wings like eagles. From living the life you were supposed to live. The fear of man is a snare to stop us. Stop the life of Jesus from being expressed in and through you to your sphere of influence. So right now what I want you to do is I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 10, verse 24 to 33. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there. Or if you have it on a device, you could just kind of scroll to that right now. So it's Matthew 10, verse 24 to 33. And in this passage, Jesus describes what are some tools or what are some values or principles about combating the fear of man. So today we're going to be talking about how do we live fear, how do we live free of the fear of men, so that the, Christ, the life of Christ can be expressed through that. And we can do that by trusting, first of all, it's not about us, it's what we're going to learn about today, by trusting that God is more powerful, but then also trusting that God will care for us. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into that together. So, uh, Jesus... Uh, it, it's not enough, again, for me to just talk about the power that we have in you. Uh, I pray that even as I'm speaking, that you would give us a sense of your power within. I pray that you would give us abundant joy as your truths are revealed to us so that we could say yes to them. I pray you would inspire us, Holy Spirit, to say yes to your word today. 
I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 10, verse 24 to 26. We're going to read it together. I want you to read it with me, okay? It's going to be on the screen. Let's read out loud together. We never get to do this, do we? I don't think so. So let's read out loud together, okay? You can start with me. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, good job, everybody, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will, be, will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Okay, now when I talk about the fear of man, I'm not talking about the fear of the gender man. Okay, I'm not talking about the f- uh, fear of males in particular, whereas that is actually a legitimate phobia that some people have. But that's not what we're talking about today. I'm talking about when the Bible, in English translations in the Bible, they're talking about the fear of men. They're talking about being um, afraid of like what other people could do to harm you, either verbally um, or, or physically. It's talking about us either fearing what might come or what we know will happen that other people will do to us. And so we characterize it as insecurity or timidity or low self-esteem. But for the sake of this lesson today, basically that's what we're talking about. The fear of man is actually just fearing what people may think or actually think or want to do to, to physically harm you emotionally or spiritually or, or bodily. Now, the challenge with this passage is that Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking to them because uh, they are going to experience persecution. So after his three years of ministry with them, they were going to experience deep persecution. And Jesus already demonstrated that by his life so far. I mean, in the first few chapters here, Jesus is going around doing the things of God and people are rejecting him. They are coming against him. They're fighting against him. And um, he's been almost thrown off a precipice and, and people have tried to stone him. So there's legitimacy to his words. You have legitimate fear of bodily harm. Now that's on a certain extreme, right? That, we're, that, that, that they were going to experience and that I would say the majority of Christians are experiencing. We are the very minority of Christians today in the world who are not aware of immediate bodily harm or persecution for our faith. We are the very, very, very few Maybe not for much longer, the way some things are going, the way we're thinking about stuff. You know, it's like, it looks, looks really scary, doesn't it? But however, here's the thing. No matter what, if, even if Jesus is speaking in that context, or even if he's speaking to us in 21st century post-Christian Canada, the principles still apply. We're not supposed to be afraid of others. That prevents us from trusting others. It prevents us from, from loving others fully. It prevents us from letting Christ be expressed in and through us to our sphere of influences. And you, you might be here and say, well, it's not me. I don't necessarily deal with this, but I want to make it personal. I want you to stop and think about it right now. I want you to stop and think about who is that one person? Or who are those few people in your life right now that if you had guaranteed approval and acceptance from them, or you knew you were guaranteed to be safe with them, if you knew that it was guaranteed that you were going to get that, that it would give you peace of mind. Who are those people? Who is that person? Could be a parent, 
could be a teacher, could be a boss at work, could be a former coworker. It, it could be someone who's dead. Some of us are still hoping, you know, and, and, and are still wondering if their parents accepted them before they passed away. How sad is that? But if we're living out of that source where you need that approval and acceptance from an individual, then it's a snare to you. But rather, we have been given acceptance by the, our most heavenly Father. And that frees us up to let the life of Christ be expressed through us. Can, we, can I get an amen to that? Right? We've been free to do that, which is phenomenal. Like, you might be sitting here right now in this worship service. The music is blaring. And all of a sudden, you get this emotional surge. You want to raise your hands. Oh, I want to raise my hands. Or you want to sing out louder. But this voice comes to you. Uh-uh. Don't do it. People will think you're holier than thou. People will judge you and think, oh, you're the wild charismatic. Like, what are you doing? Don't do it. Right? We get those voices. Or you get those, or, or you want to post something on Facebook, on the community group to encourage others. You, you've been stirred in your heart by the Holy Spirit to do it. And you start to do it and you're like, ah, no. Everyone's going to think I'm like super righteous or something. So I don't do it. Or maybe I want to reach out and be compassionate to somebody who is enduring the consequences of their sin. And you, you have compassion. God's giving you compassion for them. You want to reach out to them. But then all of a sudden this voice says, no, no, no. If you are associated with them, then other people will reject you like they've rejected them. Maybe God's put that on your heart for you to do it, for Jesus to express his love through you to that individual. But you say, no, I'm not doing it because I just don't want, I'm afraid of what other people will think. So make this personal. All of us struggle with this, right? To some way, shape, or form, in some way, shape, or form. And so let's go back to to verse 25. Jesus gives us his first reason for why we should not entertain the fear of men. He says, it is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher. So I'm back to verse 25. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, good job, Robin, how much more will they malign those of his household? So Jesus says, therefore, or so, have no fear of them. So Jesus' reason, first reason, or one of the reasons now, that he's saying don't be afraid of men is because, listen, opposition is going to be expected because you're united with me. You never think of it that way. Opposition is expected because you're united with me. If they've rejected me and I am the creator of the universe, if they've rejected me, and my word spoke creation into existence, how much more will they reject you? Why are you expecting more from the world than you should? He's saying this hate, this vitriol that you will experience is on account of me. John 15 verse 8 says, if the world hates you, this is Jesus again, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Other translations say, remember this, that they will hate you because of me. People will reject you. Jesus is saying, listen, expect it. Don't take it personally. It is attack against you, but instead look to me. Understand this is because you are united with me. Those in the dark will hate the light for fear that it will expose their deeds of darkness. This is a theme that Jesus repeated over and over again. But here's a a sobering thought that Jesus is talking about the world, right? But this happens among believers too. Can I get an amen to that? This happens to believers too. You know, because sometimes when you see somebody expressing the life of Christ with them and there's a certain amount of success, 
the flesh, the other source that you can live from is another way that you can respond to that. And the flesh will only respond with jealousy, right? The flesh would say, be jealous when the spirit says, no, rejoice with those who rejoice. The flesh says, be calloused and unfeeling when the spirit says, no, mourn with those who mourn. And so the, the, the flesh will, will make, us react, make us react incorrectly to an experience of how Christ is being, how Christ is being exp- expressed through us. So let's turn it around. One reason why you should not fear men is because you can expect the world or, 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 or people to reject, reject you because they have rejected Jesus. And the flesh is the one thing that is fighting against that. It's fighting against the expression of Jesus Christ in our lives. Because you know what, guys? If we understand, and Jesus is saying this, he understands human beings. He says, basically, if you understand what you fear, then you won't be as afraid of it anymore, right? Because isn't that so human? We, we, we always fear what we don't understand. But he's saying, listen, you can understand where this is coming from. And if you do, then it won't have power over you because it is not about us being liked. It is about Jesus being known and we are united in him and with him. And we have assumed his reputation. As Christ is, so am I in this world. I think first John says that. So I've assumed his reputation. I've assumed his identity. I identify with him. And so therefore I should accept what comes along with that identity as a father. Okay. As a dad. Okay. It's part of my identity to care for my kids and love for them. And this is a role that I have accepted. Obviously, this is a role I've accepted to properly love my children. But in order to properly love them, I have to discipline them. If, if, part of, if I say part of my role as a father is to make sure my kids like me all the time, I am doing them a considerable amount of harm. Would you agree? Because sometimes I'm going to have to discipline them. I'm going to have to allow the life of Christ of the life of Christ, the life of Jesus inside of me to be expressed. And that might come across as discipline. That means I may have to deny my kids things that they want so that they can get things that they need so that they, they can grow to be healthy adults. And this is based on my identity. And so I have to accept that I cannot be liked by my children all the time. Guys, it's the same thing for us as believers. We've been united with Christ It's part of our identity to make him known. It means that we're not going to be liked all the time. Everyone say (laughs) boo-hoo. We're not going to be liked all the time. And and guess what? Sometimes when you you allow the life of Christ to be expressed to you, you may not be understood. You might get rejected. But know this, that he has the power to protect you and care for you. We're going to talk more about that. Verse 26 goes on to say, and another reason not to fear man is that nothing will be hidden. Everything will be made known. I want you to get this picture in your mind of like, you know, you're cleaning the windows or you're cleaning the windshield of a car in bright daylight and you're using soap and you got all the right ingredients and you're cleaning, cleaning, cleaning. But that bright light, what does it show you? It shows you all the streaks. It shows you where you probably left some, some soap spots. And, and, and this is basically what is going to happen in the end. The brightness of God will be revealed. The glory of Jesus will be revealed. His lordship will be revealed in the end. 
And so even though we're afraid of what people might think about us, we don't need to worry about whether or not we're going to be vindicated because we will. Jesus will come and everything will be revealed. Everything that you did in Christ will be revealed as gold. Everything that Christ did in and through you will be revealed as a reward and a credit to you in the end. And Jesus himself will present you to the Father. I love that. That's what that verse is saying, right? Jesus will will present you to the Father, and everything will be made known. Everything will be revealed. The things that were done in the flesh and that were done to harm you will be revealed. Everything, every scheme that was done behind the scenes to harm your reputation. Every time someone's planned behind the scenes to make you lose your job. Every time somebody at school made up a lie about your rumor on you on social media to discredit who you were. All of those things will be revealed to be lies. But your credit as a child of God, as a righteous man and woman who has been purchased by the blood of Jesus to do great things in the kingdom and to be celebrated by the Father, that will be revealed. So we could trust him to vindicate us. We can live boldly for him, even though we can expect opposition in the here and now. We choose to let the life of Christ live in and through us. Galatians 2.20 says, it's not the life, it's not, it's not um, my life, and I am crucified with Christ. Christ is now expressed in and through me, right? Paul's talking about that. It's the same for each and every one of us. So you will not fear men if you trust that it's not about you. But I hear you guys saying, this is great and good, Robin, but you don't know my family. You don't know my workplace. You don't know my school. You don't know what people are saying about me on social media. You don't even know the things that I've done wrong that, that even people deserve to come down hard on me about, right? How could I possibly endure what I have to face in the future? So we're going to talk about that right now, which is our, my second point, which is you will not fear men when you trust that your father is more powerful than people, right? And we're going to be reading Matthew 27. Uh, we're going to be reading Matthew 10 verses 27 to 28. So let's read this together. So Jesus says, yeah, I mean, seriously, let's read it together. Okay. So what I tell you in the dark and what you hear whispered and do not fear those who kill the body. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Oh, this is so encouraging. <laughs> Are you so excited about this part? You know, I'm not talking about, we could, we could talk about, you know, annihilation or what happens to the body in hell. I mean, we could have a conversation about that, but that's not what the context of this passage is, okay? So we're, we're just going to stay focused on the subject of the fear of men, right, at this point. I want to tell you a story about a friend of mine to a play called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. Some of you have seen it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I took a friend of mine to this event, and uh, it was kind of high school time. We wanted, one of my kind of acquaintances at school. And I said, well, you know, you should come along. And I felt like I sh- he should really come. So we went to this play and this play is basically a, a demonstration of what happens to a few people when they die and, and what the eternal consequence of their lives that they lived apart from Christ or with Christ. And it's basically a really upfront kind of stark description of what it means to go to heaven and what it means to go to hell. And so they have like somebody dressed up as the devil. Actually, one of my friends from church, was the devil. And like, he was like a cross between like Gollum and like Ultron from like Marvel movies. Like his voice was like so creepy and he was just, he was all in it. Like he owned the role. It was terrifying. (laughs) It was so freaky. 
I remember after the play, I, I was, my friend came out because I was, I was involved in something else. And so my friend came out afterwards and I ran to see how he was doing. You should have seen his face, stark white. He was terrified. I remember feeling like, I'm not sure if that's the reaction I wanted. Because, because he made a decision to follow Jesus. But I'm, when I saw his face, I'm like, man, he, he's terrified. Now, I'm not saying that that ministry is unfruitful because, I mean, a lot of people have come to faith from those kind of events and have continued on in faith. This friend here, I happen to continue on in the journey of life with him, so I'm not too sure where he's at this moment. But, I mean, in that moment, I, was, I could see it. Like, he was terrified. It freaked him out. Right? Now, did my friend have a right to be terrified? Well, yeah. I mean, because that's a reality that we could face. I mean, I mean we, have been quali- we were qualified for hell by the decision that Adam made. Because we were in Adam, and Adam qualified himself for hell, then all of his descendants became qualified for hell. Right? And so that's, that's, a, that's a scary r- reality. I mean, we weren't supposed to be. And that was hell was only reserved for the, for the devil and his demons. But, but when that happened, that is what came to uh, be something that each and inher- every human being had inherited. But we have the joy of knowing through the gospel that Jesus is the new Adam. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says this, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So when we chose to follow Jesus, we, we, we died with him. Our old spirits, that was the essence of our being, died with Jesus, that was buried with Jesus. The, the part of us that was qualified for hell is gone. But now we inherited a new resurrected life that is qualified for heaven. There's no going back. We've been purchased. We've been purchased by, with a great price. We're going to talk more about that, our, our, our incredible value that we have as believers. But did my friend Mike, his name is Mike, did my friend have a reason to be terrified? Well, yeah, because it's not the devil who brings people to, to hell. The devil doesn't come and drag people to hell. Hell is what God designed uh, for the punishment of those who, just, who, who were in opposition to him. And unfortunately, unfortunately, there are still many who have not chosen to follow him. Have not chosen to come alongside and are still in opposition. Therefore, we do not fear a bodily death in this world, right? We don't have to fear what men and women do to us. This is what Jesus is talking about. And now, again, on that extreme we were talking about, right? Where, where people are, the disciples are going to face bodily harm. And so they might be terrified of being crucified or flogged, or they might be terrified of being put in jail or, or eaten by lions in a, in, a, in a gladiator arena. And let me tell you again, the majority of Christians face this every day. We are part of the minority who do not face this. However, the principle is still true. We do not have to fear bodily death or harm. We don't have to fear it whatsoever because we will have a new resurrected body when this time is done, when you're done with this present existence, and go and reign with him in heaven. And so Jesus says, listen, here, this is the most powerful judiciary, not people, not people's evaluation of you, not what they can do to harm your body. Because you are going to receive a new resurrected body. The greater judge, the greater judiciary to be afraid of is God. 
not people. God could redeem your body. He could give you a new life for eternity when this life is over. So don't fear men. Fear God who has more power than men. Right? But you're saying it's hard to do this, right? It's hard to always put your mind there and think on that. Because maybe you're in the snare, right? Because we can think on that. I could say, Listen, look forward to the future. We're, we're going to go to heaven. We're going to have new, we're going to have new bodies. Even, even if harm comes to you now from other people on account of your faith, if harm comes from coworkers or teachers or, or fellow students or, or even immediate family members. You can say, don't worry about that. Just, just think, about, think about the fact that you're going to go to heaven one day and everything's going to be fine. That's hard to do, isn't it? Right? It's hard to get our minds there. Because we all accept the truth that Jesus is more powerful. But sometimes the fear of men gets in the mix, and we could be right there in the snare, in the face of what may happen to us, or what people might say against us, or what people might want to do against you, and it's hard to, to put your mind on things above. So you might be asking the question, how can we then stay focused on the one who is more powerful? How can we stay focused on how God can care for us. We're going to answer that question right now. This is our third point, that you will not fear men. This is what Jesus said. You will not fear men when you trust that God will care for you and protect you. Okay, so we're going to read Matthew 10, chapter 29. Uh, sorry, chapter 10, verses 29 to 33. You guys ready to read with me again? You guys did so good last time. All right, let's do it. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your heads are all numbered. Some of you have more than others. All of them are numbered. It doesn't matter. All of them are numbered. Even the ones on your face. Okay? Fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, or so... Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Thanks, guys. You're great at reading along with me. Uh, do you guys remember the penny? You remember the penny? Who's still got pennies? Like, just put your hand up. Even online, do you have pennies? You just got them stored away somewhere? Remember the smell of pennies in your fingers? Like, yeah, ugh. The pennies are so insignificant. I mean, you could, you could just, I mean, there was a time where I, like, I was very kind of you know, loose with money. I could just throw a penny away. You know, it's like, why, why would you even have one? You know, the word penny uh, is, is, is basically being used in this passage, and it's the Greek word aserion, which is indeed actually a penny. So at this time, it was actually a copper Roman coin. Right, just like just like the just like the penny, a copper coin, and it was worth less than half an hour of a day's wage at the time. Right, like it was worth very little. It was extremely insignificant financial value, and you could buy two sparrows. You wanted to at this time. You wanted to go to the temple and 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 sacrifice uh, and take part in the sacrifices. If you couldn't afford a lamb, which was instructed in the Torah, then you would purchase. A sparrow. And you would purchase a sparrow with, with a penny. And you could purchase maybe two of them and go 
and have them sacrificed, and that was part of your religious observance as a Jewish person. Now, the sparrow was a sign of poverty. The sparrow was a sign of insignificance. But guess what? God sees, this is what we just learned. God sees and God knows each and every sparrow. And God knows when they die. God knows even when, our Heavenly Father knows even when an insignificant bird falls to the ground and dies. Now picture this. God says, look how much more attention I pay to you. Right? That even the most small and insignificant financial value or bird, I pay attention to that. You here online and in the theater, you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. You were worth his life and death and resurrection. He left heaven so that he could take you back to heaven with him. You were worth his life and death. You were worth the blood of Jesus. How much more worth and value do you have than sparrows? But God sees every sparrow that falls to the ground, every bird, every robin, every chickadee, every blue jay, every cardinal. He sees everyone. How much more attention will he pay attention to you? Because you are now united in Christ. I mean, your worth is astronomical. Therefore, God pays so much attention to you. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, God will never leave you nor forsake you. Job, 30, uh, Job uh, chapter 36 verse 7 says this, He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but with kings on the throne he sets them forever and they are exalted. Psalm, 34, Psalm chapter 34 verse 15 says this, The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears are towards their cry. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12 says this, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Who are the righteous? Yeah, we are. No, it's hard to say it, but you can say it. We are. We are the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. Some of us need to receive that right now. God's ears are open to your prayers, to your concerns the things that are on your mind, the things that are on your heart, the insignificant things that you think that God has no time for, God knows them and sees them and is aware of them. See, this speaks perfectly to our subject matter. The believer does not need to fear God because of punishment, okay? I think it's 1 John 14, 4 says this, right? We don't need to fear punishment from God anymore. Like, we don't have to live that way because, because God cares for us. He, he, he sees us. He's, he's, he's running after us. He's, he's, he's caring for us in every mo moment of our lives. Another way to describe this, this, the, the, what we've experienced now in our relationship with him is awe, right? Doesn't this fill you with awe that God spent, has so, spent so much attention, spent so much thought on you? Doesn't it fill you with wonder? Doesn't it fill you with reverence to know that? That he cares so much for you. You don't have to worry about uh, or fearing punishment. You don't have to fear. You, you, you fear and you have awe and you have reverence for God instead. You know, I, I have a story about God paying attention to insignificant things. I went to um, one of the cinemas here in Kitchener. My wife and I, uh, Deanne, were um, 
uh, we I actually I had been away for a time on a ministry trip and I was just back and I was just bedraggled and just tired. I've always looked for a reason to use the word bedraggled and I just used it. Thank you so much for being here for that. Um, I, I, I was so tired. I was exhausted. And I was just feeling really low. I feel like maybe, maybe I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, and, and we decided since I was away, like we'd go to a movie. So Deanna and I would go out and, and just spend some time together because I'd been away for some time. And we were going to the theater and we didn't have a, like we were budgeting. We were, things were really tight for us. And I was at this point where I was like, I really want to have popcorn in a movie. If I had popcorn while I'm sitting down watching a movie, I'd be so happy. Like, I don't know if you're like that too. Like you associate certain things. It's like my movie experience is not complete if I have popcorn, but that is such an expensive <laughs> habit to have. That's another snare. <laughs> but anyway, here I am. I just, I just love having popcorn. I don't mess around either. I don't put any of the seasonings on it. No ketchup, no like sour cream and onion, just butter. Yes, I heard a yes. So I'm like, Jesus, all I want is some popcorn. But you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to set that aside. We're going to go to the movie. I think we're just going to play it safe. We're not going to spend too much. We're going to go and watch the movie together without popcorn. We were going into the theater and his dad comes up and he has a special needs son. And uh, you could tell right away it's a special needs son, just the, the way he was walking and the way the dad was just kind of moving quickly. And it seemed like the dad was trying to, you know, calm him down or move him to a new area. And he was carrying two bags of popcorn. This is pre-COVID. He was carrying two bags of popcorn, full bags, large bags of popcorn. And he looked at, at Deanna and I coming up and he said, you guys have these. Like I took the bags of popcorn. It's popcorn, guys. It's just popcorn. So insignificant. Took the bags of popcorn and went and sat down. We had popcorn. It was great. Um, for years, my ministry years after that, I just kept that bag because I needed to remember that God pays attention to the insignificant things in my life. Little things that I think I don't even pray about. I didn't pray. But God is open to my prayer, even the quiet ones in my heart. God pays attention to me. God pays attention to you. If you can pay attention to every little sparrow that falls to the ground, how much more focus and time is he going to give to you? You don't need to fear what people are going to say about you. You don't have to fear what people are going to do to your reputation. You don't have to fear what people are going to bodily, do bodily harm against you. You don't need to fear any of those things. Live in the freedom that you've been called to live in. Allow Jesus to express himself through you. If you're a creative person, you have, you have creative arts that you want to express to God and to other people so that people get to know Jesus more. Don't be afraid of what people think. Stand up and let it be expressed. If he's called you to do it, let it be expressed. He'll take care of you. Don't worry about what people think. He cares about you. Even the most insignificant things, he cares about you. Stand up in what you've been called to be. Let your wings fly. Let the snare stay on the ground. Get up in the air and be who you've been called to be. The fear of man is a snare. It's a scheme of the enemy to keep us on the ground. If we trust our Heavenly Father will love us and care for us and protect us, then we can stand with boldness and be who we've been called to be. You know, all these things do not go unnoticed. God tallies all these moments. He sees your hurt. He sees your fear of the future. He sees your fear of men. 
and, and he knows what your journey is, but he hasn't given up on you. I mean, you've been bought with the blood of Jesus. He's paying attention. He's going to care for you. How do we live free of the fear of men so that the life of Christ can be expressed in and through us? We do that by trusting that it's not about us. We've been united with the person of Jesus Christ. We've assumed his reputation. We are aligned with his identity. We identify with him. We now trust as well that God is more powerful. He is the greater evaluator than men. His evaluation matters way more than what other people think because he has the final word. And the last thing is that we could trust him to care for us. If he could trust the most, in, if he's paid attention to the most insignificant things in this world, how much more will he pay attention to you? The, the pearl of great price. You are the pearl of great price. Man bought a field. He bought a field so he can get a pearl of great price. And you were it. In conclusion, fear is an emotion that is immoral. It's not wrong to fear. It's not wrong to feel fear. You're not evil if you feel fear. There's nothing wrong with you if you feel fear. Uh, It's a neutral thing, but it matters what you point your fear towards. If you're fearing creation rather than the creator, then it's a snare to you. But if you're learning how to fear God, how to think on him, how how to have your mind focused on who he is to you and you are to him, then you can live free of that snare of fear. I want you to think on this before we, I'm just closing now. I want you to think on this. Jesus himself experienced fear. He went to the cross and he experienced anxiety and duress about going to the cross. In the, in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat blood. It's actually a medical condition that when you are under extreme duress, that you can actually shed blood through the pores of your skin. And that's what Jesus experienced. Jesus himself was so afraid of the bodily harm that was coming to him that he was experiencing in his body. This is the God who loves you and cares for you and protects you. He knows. He knows the duress you're under. He gets it. He understands. He is for you. He's going to rescue you. And he's going to vindicate you. He's already redeemed you. But he wants you to trust who you are in him and who he is to you. Let's pray together. Um, Jesus, there's, you know, I, I love talking about these things, but it's, it's, again, it's not enough. I mean, I, I'm just, just trusting that you will, you will make the ground of our hearts fertile so that we can receive this truth. So we don't discard it. Make our hearts fertile so we hold on to it. And the enemy's going to want to come along and steal the seed that's been planted today. But I just pray against that right now in Jesus and your authority. I pray, Lord Jesus, you protect each and every one of our hearts this week. Guard our hearts and mind with your peace. It was a supernatural confidence to trust in you this week. Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.